Whiteheads, I want a place in this car to put my drink. Sir, the, the car has a beverage holder. Hello, hello, Einstein. I said a place to put my drink. And the Vancouver Canucks drop their third in a row. I'm ruined. <laughs> 801 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. The Kukar horn gets me every time. I can't not laugh. Halford and Ruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers Experience. <laughs> there it is again. I don't even care that it interrupted me. It's so funny. Uh, we are brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Uh, Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet is going to join us here on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650 in just a second. Hour three of this program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can do so by visiting them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Finally, uh, we are now being joined by Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, a presentation of Grip Auto & Tire. Good morning, iMac. How are you? I'm doing well, but what do you mean by finally? It's like 30 seconds after the hour. I couldn't have got here any. Oh, I meant finally because I just kept talking and talking and talking. Oh. Finally, now that I'm done doing all the advertisements, <laughs> we can get all to right. iMac. Yeah, that's what I meant there. Um, all right, good, good point. By the way, it, it you can never go wrong. I discovered this many years ago in the newspaper racket. You can never go wrong as long as it's Simpson. Everything he says is quotable. Yes. Yep. No, we've we've kind of made a career out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sad. We, Where would we be without the Simpsons? Yeah, we, not here. Yeah. Um, yeah. IMAC, we were talking about the the juxtaposition of the last few weeks with uh, the Canucks really struggling. One of the worst starts in franchise history. I think one of the lowest points in franchise history. And at the same time, they've been honoring Kevin Bieksa. He's given them speeches about team culture. And tonight... The Sedins and Luongo will go into the Hall of Fame, um, you know, the highest honor in hockey. Um, and you think about what those three meant to the organization, what they meant to the community, um, how much they cared about winning, how much they cared about getting better. Uh, the Sedins, you know, in particular, their their rise um, is is legendary. Um, developed, drafted and developed by the Canucks, but it was not an easy ride. Just maybe to start with this, and we'll get to your piece in just a bit, but just the juxtaposition of the Canucks honor, getting honored um, against what's been happening with this current team. Yeah, well, first of all, is it not a very Canucky thing that what should be one of the greatest days in franchise history with three players who were all connected, identified so strongly with the Canucks. And as you say, built culture and the Sedins are just on another, uh, another level, but three of them going into hall of fame on the same day amid what you accurately point out is one of the, the low points in recent franchise history because of what was expected this season. It's not just that they've, they've lost games because they've done that quite often, but for what was expected uh, especially after last season and where they are now. It just seems like a very Canucky thing. But I, I think to, to your question, Jason, about about uh, culture, I think those three players, among others from that team, including Bieksa, but the Sedins and Luongo, represent everything 
in culture that this current team is not and that this current team should be striving for in terms of of accountability and uh you know professionalism and and I, i don't mean that they're not professional now but they you know the professionalism to the degree that the Sedins got to around year four or five, where they realized it, it's it's every day, it's every moment, it's how you train, it's how you conduct yourself, it's your attitude with teammates, it's your selflessness, it's it's your accountability, even something as superficially as being accountable to the media. And I say that somewhat facetiously because it's not superficial to me, but in the big scheme of things, it's probably probably wasn't the most important thing to the Sedins in Luongo, but every game, do you remember every game and, and Luongo at the start, we, you know, history has been revised a little bit because he had such a remarkable transformation as a person in Vancouver. It was only when he failed and was humbled that he was fully embraced by the fan base, because I think everybody can see, uh, can identify with somebody who has, has suddenly realized maybe they're not, they're not what they thought. But in the early days, Luongo could be difficult to deal with, but every game, good or bad, in front of reporters uh, answering questions. And, and the Sedins were like that as well, especially when they became frontline players, the faces of the franchise, and that, as much as anything, is what is missing right now with this group. You know, it's we we had the conversation about the Sedins and the Summit, and we talked about you know the, the way that they kind of became frontline NHL players. And it's hard to compare it to the modern group because there's so many different. It's a sea change compared to when they uh, broke in and when when you know, for example, Elias Pettersson, who burst onto the scene as a rookie and had. You know, it's almost been the, the, the opposite where the struggles came after a tremendous rookie campaign. But, you know, I, I've talked to Drance about this a few times because he's gone back and we both kind of did it when we, we wrote the book and we was talking about the Sedins. There was a lot of underlying numbers and maybe even not just frontline numbers that suggested that they should have been elevated to a frontline role way earlier than they were. Right. Like they, t- at age 23 and 24, they were producing at a level where they should have been playing more than 13 or 14 minutes a night. But they were right. patient and they they kind of bided their time. And I mean, I'm sure that they wanted that, but they were you know respectful of the process and everything. And then we get to this current group where we're, we're openly asking the questions if guys like Pod Colson and Hoaglander in particular should even be in this mix because they're trying to learn their craft and they're trying to become better players and potentially frontline players. And they're doing it in an environment that is just, it's so awful right now. Like every, yeah. everyone from the, the ownership, sorry, not the ownership management to the head coach, to the players, you can just see it on their facial expressions that they're all wearing it right now. And that does not make for a good environment for anyone, let alone young guys that are trying to learn their craft. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And, and I've made, point or tried to make the point since the season started you know because I know that everyone's eyes start to glaze over with the talk of culture but I've tried to make the point that it's more difficult for even exceptional players like Elias Pettersson and, and Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko although Demko's you know just had an unbelievably bad start for what was expected but 
these are these are cornerstone players. These are players that every team in the league would love to have and and build around. But it's so hard when you come in to a losing environment to figure out later on when it's suddenly time to win and there's expectations to win exactly what you do. There's been no template, right? There's been no on-the-job training for that. And the Sedins, even so their time was suppressed, I agree with you, especially the, the last season before the lockout um, in 03-04, even so they had to uh, have this extraordinary summit in London in 05 to finally push the team, nudge the team, and give them opportunity. It wasn't, it wasn't just, you know, hey, give us ice time, we want this. It was, if we improve, can we have that opportunity it took it took that sum up, but they benefited absolutely from coming into a team that had the West Coast Express, that you know a very good team. It couldn't figure out what to do in the playoffs or how to win in the playoffs, and ultimately that's what cost both um, Brian Burke and and Mark Crawford their jobs, is they just couldn't carry on into the playoffs. But it was it was a good team with some good leaders, and the Sedins were able to kind of scuffle along and find their game uh, while the team was still winning. And it didn't make it easy for them on a personal level because people were booing them. People, uh, a lot of people now don't remember or don't want to remember just how brutal our market was to the Sedins early on. But at least the team was winning games and that gave uh, a, tremendous amount of latitude to the Sedins to kind of learn on the job and figure out what it was they needed to do to become better NHL players. The guys now, they can't do that. Like they, you know, there's no template. And that's why people now like Luke Shen are worth their weight in gold because he's won something. He understands what the culture is, but there's not enough of those guys around right now for the young guys so the young guys just have to kind of figure it out and it's really really tough so Jim Rutherford up until this point has has basically said listen we're going to build and he said he's used phrases like we're going to keep pecking away at this roster will there come a point in time where Rutherford goes "Hmm, maybe we need to do more than pecking away yeah well there may well be and it's you know that was (laughs) An incredible interview he did one, I think it was one week ago today with uh, Sat and Riccio in the afternoon. And he said, yes, there will be a point where they focus on next season. And uh, I think you have to interpret that as, as meaning that they will make significant changes with the eye to the future, with an eye to the future. They have, you know, they have these, incredible young players that we, we always talk about and potential cornerstones. And so because of that, and, and Rutherford noted that when he was hired, what he had to work with. And remember he said in that first press conference that the team may be better than a lot of people think. And he was, he was correct at least last year. Um, now it's worse than anybody envisioned, but they do have those uh, cornerstone pieces. So, uh, I don't believe when people say rebuild to me, a rebuild is you basically scrape the landscape, 
and you sell off all your assets and start over. I don't think I would do that. Like I'm not going to trade Pedersen or Hughes or, or uh, Demco and I'm going to do my best to resign Horvat, but they're now getting stuck there. But, you know, they can't, they just can't continue this season, the way it's going where it's a blaze and everybody stands around and watches the flames and just hope that they go out on their own. You, they're going to have to, to act soon and, and do something. Either the team starts winning and I think it is playing a little bit better, but as Boudreaux said last night, not good enough. And especially against good teams like Boston, not good enough. The I'm, team is playing a little better, but it's got to start winning games or You've got to start making changes. You just can't stand back and watch the fire. IMAC, if you were Horvat and Pedersen, would you commit more years to this team? Do we lose him on that question? No, I, I hear you. Oh, yeah, sorry. Can you hear me? I yeah. did lose you. So if, oh, okay. if you were Pedersen and Horvat. Would you commit more years to this organization? Because uh, we all know Horvat's situation, but... Pedersen can also start talking long-term contract extension this offseason. Yeah, yeah. Well, it you would have to know how happy they are in Vancouver and how much they believe in this team and this group and this management and their coach. And all those all those things uh go into it, but you know, if you know Pavel Burry was unhappy in Vancouver. Like he didn't he didn't want to play in the fishbowl. He had he had years old grievances with management, right. and he just wanted out. So if if Horvat or Pedersen, for whatever reason, get to the point where they just don't like and they want out, then they'll be out, because I think players have a lot more control now uh, than they used to. But I don't get the sense that either of them is pining, especially Horvat, is pining to get out of Vancouver. It doesn't mean that they're going to stay, but I don't see that simply because the team is still trying to figure out how to win that they necessarily just want out and want to go play somewhere else. I don't get that sense. Um, behind the bench, is it fair to suggest that had the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony not been tonight, uh, Bruce Boudreau might not have been behind the bench on Tuesday when they take on Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's possible, and we'll see how the Buffalo game goes and yeah. whether he's behind the bench after that. It, it, as I said a minute ago, having witnessed what happened last year, and that was a little different because that was an entire regime that had become stale, sure. right? And and it was just time for change. But nothing happened until December. And by then, it's too late to really have any reasonable hope of salvaging a season. Uh, I don't think they can just let this kind of drift on now without, uh, without making some changes to try to, try to change the tra- trajectory, to, to try to get some results or at least at least get the player's attention. So uh, absolutely a coaching change. We've seen how frigid the response from management to Boudreaux has been uh, at any time, but 
really since the end of last season. So it, it's not a, it, you don't have to be too imaginative to think that there will be, there could be a new coach soon unless they start winning games. But uh, I don't know that that's going to be enough. A lot would depend on who would replace them. You know, are they just going to promote someone from within? They do have two former head coaches on their staff right now, but one of them uh, seems to be, you know, a lightning rod for discontent uh, with how the team is performing in, in Mike Yo. So I, I think it would depend who they bring in, but they, they, they just can't, they, they can't just keep flowing down the current, taking on water. They have to try to do something to save themselves. IMAC, thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it as always. Enjoy the rest of the week and whatever it brings. Uh, for better or for worse, we'll be doing it again next Monday. Well, I'm in I'm in Toronto, not Buffalo, so right. I'm going to really enjoy the Hall of Fame ceremony tonight and feel good about uh, the Sedins and Roberto because not only are they Hall of Fame players among the best, and the Sedins are the best in franchise history, but some of the most interesting and accommodating people that I've ever covered. Uh, if if only the team had more like them right now. Well, enjoy it, IMAC. It should be a good night. Take care. See you guys. See you. That's uh, Ian McIntyre, uh, Sportsnet's very own here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, IMAC is, of course, a presentation of Grip Auto & Tire. Quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. Grip Auto & Tire. Now, you want to do some What We Learns before we go to break and turn it over to the humanoids? Or what do you want to do? I yeah, got, well, no, I, I we'll do start. our What We Learn. So do, do you have a What We Learn that you want to share? And then do. we can turn it over to the listeners. We need more What We Learns, by the way. So text in your What We Learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Uh, I do have a What We Learned. And I learned that as we just finished talking to Ian McIntyre about those many years ago where Pavel Burry wanted out of Vancouver, mm-hmm. there's a modern version of it going on in England. With Manchester United. Oh, God, Ronaldo. Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo. So, Yikes. for those that missed it, and in what was clearly the most premeditated display of dissent yet, uh, Ronaldo scheduled an interview with Pierce Morgan in which he said he felt that he was betrayed by Manchester United, said he does not respect the manager, Eric Ten Hag. That's the proper pronunciation, by the way. Eric Ten Hag. Anyway, uh, he also accused unnamed senior. I've, I've, I've asked you to stop doing that. Eric Ten Hag. Uh, and like a ting sound effect. After he, you say that. Uh, Ronaldo also accused several senior executives at Old Trafford, uh, and he accused them of wanting him out. This is there's two ways of looking at this. One, um, you could say that a player of his stature and magnitude is kind of being whittled away and wasted away at a club that brought him on for nostalgia reasons and then changed a whole bunch of stuff, including the manager and the direction and the players around him and everything. You could also look at this and say, this is straight prima donna behavior. Here is some audio from the Pierce Morgan interview with Cristiano Ronaldo. They're trying to force you out. Yes. Not only the coach, but the other two or three guys there around the club. At Uh, the senior executive level. Yes. That I felt betrayed. And you think they're trying to get rid of you? Honestly, I should not say that. I don't know. But listen, I, I don't care. I'm always, people should listen to the truth. Yes, I feel betrayed. And I felt that some people that don't want me here, not only this year, but last year too. Now, I'll say this. Um, 
United had a lot of reasons to be angry and upset with Ronaldo this season alone. Like, he didn't report to the preseason on time. He didn't go to the preseason tour to Thailand and Australia. He cited family reasons. He refused to come on as a substitute. He was Wasn't angry he leaving he came... games early? So he's had a very public display of uh, adversarial behavior mm-hmm. with the club. Descent. Descent. Part of it, and I know this is probably a valid reason, is he's going into what's going to be, I would imagine, his last World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be on a Portuguese team that has World Cup aspirations. He wants to be playing and wants to be fit. And even dating back to last season, although it was often square peg round hole in terms of the fit, he still scored goals. He's one of the greatest yeah. footballers of all time. Like all this stuff. Is, is he just, also just embarrassed and he's got a massive ego yes. and his ego is getting yes. hurt and yes. he's getting older and yes. he's struggling yes. because he's getting older. Yes. He is not accepting the reality yeah. as being presented to him, which is you are no longer the player that you once were. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating situation because yeah. we're, not, we're talking about um, – like, you know, we, we live in a, a sort of North American bubble and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, Ronaldo is a global icon. Like, there, every country in the world, there are, you know, like little kids that think he is the greatest athlete on well, the planet. Well, he's an incredible right? athlete. And he's an incredible athlete. He's one of the greatest players of all time. So this is a the magnitude of this and the weight and clout that he carries when he does this type of interview. It's got really far-reaching implications. Like, f- f- so for now, he will not play another game for United. That's done. That is him saying, uh, I'm taking control of this situation. I'm forcing my way out because there's no going back from this. This is off the deep end. Furthermore, I think he's already probably got a landing spot in mind. The question is going to be, can they make the finances work? Well, sources told ESPN that United received only one offer, and that was from Saudi Arabia during the transfer window, despite reported interest from Chelsea, Bayern, Napoli, mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid, Um and the sources also believe that Ronaldo's interview was designed as a quote unquote power play to force a way to force a move away while also negotiating a financial settlement for the remaining months of his contract, Correct. which runs until June. So Ronaldo <laughs> I, I'm sure United would say, if you don't want to get paid anymore, if you want to just tear up that contract, no settlement. You're free to go. That's the biggest hurdle right now, is how many clubs in the world can realistically afford Cristiano Ronaldo. and that's For, why. for what he's worth. or I mean, they listen, uh, they could afford it, but is it worth it? Right, because a lot of the big clubs that they're talking about, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, they already have pretty big payrolls. They already spend a lot, right? And there's a reason that Saudi clubs are being mentioned. Right? Yeah. What it, they have. Do they have money to splash around in sports? Infinite resources when it comes to wealth <laughs> and money and everything. So. Did you see uh, Live Golf FC, otherwise known as Newcastle, are now third place mm-hmm. in the Premiership? Another big win. Yeah. For the, for the Magpies. Are you starting to give Arsenal a chance to win this thing? Because you. No. No. no still no. No, eh? no, no. Still no. I get Arsenal. Arsenal Even so, the, who did City lose to? Uh, Brentford. The Brentford. Bees. Brentford. Yeah. So I've, Brentford no, also beat no, United. No, no. No, no. No, no. Was wow. that Brentford was the one that embarrassed United early Four in the nil. season, right? Yeah, okay. So yeah. Brentford's had some good wins. Uh, Ivan Tony for, for clearly, being Brentford. Yeah, Ivan Tony clearly feeling the disrespect for being snubbed from Southgate's uh, 26-man England roster went out and scored a pair of goals in the 2-1 win over City on the weekend. Okay, we got to go to break. We'll come back. We will dive into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. Do your what we learns. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? Let us know. It's your chance to be on the radio. 
What are we doing with giveaways? We have any this week, a dog, a dog? Yeah, we're giving away tickets to Friday's game on Wednesday and Thursday, and we're giving away tickets on Friday to Monday's game. So here's the thing. Uh, start warming up for the later in the week giveaways by submitting what we learned now. It's like practice. It's like training. Get good habits. Get good what we learn habits right now. Get good structure in your game. You got it? Send them in. 650-650. It's the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Halford and Bruff, final half hour coming up next on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It feels like someone I love is dead. Something I love is dead. It does feel like it's dying, doesn't it? 8.31 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We only got one negative text about Ronaldo coverage, which I think is good. I think we're we're going in the right direction. Is that the people that abhor any mention of football, the European variety, have stopped having a visceral text reaction? Just, it's like it's like when the Canucks just keep losing, you just become apathetic towards yeah, it. Yeah, you accept it. I just shower you with Ronaldo content. Well, with the World Cup coming, people are more willing. <laughs> it's true. And I was reading today, actually, by the way, the World Cup may break Twitter. Like, it may all be over for Twitter because uh, of the World Cup. Explain. Uh, there was multiple discussions, apparently, with older Twitter employees in years past mm-hmm. about the manpower and just preparation it took right. to keep the site online oh, right. during the World Cup. Yeah. Guess what's coming up in a little bit, yeah. you guys? <laughs> and they've cut, and they've they've cut the uh workforce there or Elon has, yeah. Yeah. I I'll well, be we'll see. You know, okay, so well, it won't be the end of the world. It so, might be the end of Twitter though. It might be well, that won't be the end of the world. Yeah. So everyone is now either on the way to or has descended on uh Qatar. A lot of the media folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed that uh the <laughs> Well, as I was saying, like TSN's the rights holders. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they've got their big studio set up, and they did their first live hit from there mm-hmm. yesterday. And some people are starting to like the, the more cat, not media folks, but the, the the supporters and everything that are arriving, and they're starting to realize exactly what they're in for right. over the next month. Because I, when you looked at the, I'm sleeping in a tent. Oh, you got a tent? Ooh, can I sleep in there? Also, can I drink in there? Because there's alcohol zones that are very restrictive. So being drunk in public is a um, punishable offense. Yep. In Qatar, and I just wonder at what point that's going to become a central talking point because it seems like an inevitability. This is the most boring World Cup ever, or this is the most controversial World Cup ever because I find it hard to. They're going to have that Homer clip there that'll be like, "I never realized how boring this game actually was." (laughs) Not a single, not a single drop of alcohol. This is this is awful. God, soccer is just terrible. Yeah. So anyway, um, I don't know how we got. I don't even want to sing. I don't even know how we got on that subject, but uh, we're moving along. We're moving along. We're, we're moving on to Cincinnati, as Bill Belichick once said, which has nothing to do with this. What we learned time. Uh, fire up the dot matrix. Let's get some humanoids on here. Uh, Todd the Planner, what I learned watching the Canucks makes me feel bad, and when I don't watch the Canucks, I feel less bad. There have been a lot of texts coming into the station today, and this is not good news for us, yeah. but it's not good news for the Canucks either no. that people are just not watching the games anymore. 
They are not. I honestly am debating if I want to watch. Like, I know I kind of have to because it's my job. Yeah, you should. You okay, should. keep watching. Okay? You know? pay attention to the but home I, of the Canucks sign up. I there. just like, oh, it's just, it's such a chore. Like, it just just turning on the TV and knowing what I'm about to get myself into. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, challenging. it's demoralizing. It is. Yeah. It know? is. I don't, I don't look, for, I actually, mm-hmm. I actually get depressed thinking about it as I look through my day and like, okay, what's coming up? Oh, my God. I, 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 hold on. Just for, just so we clarify here. None of us are complaining about our jobs. No, we are all no, very no. fortunate to do what we do, and we love doing it. I just keep wish not complaining it, for off air. I just wish it was I, fun to talk about the team. I think I I feel like we are doing as as best as we can to commiserate with other people that uh, call them fans, if you want. I don't. I'm not much for labels, but um, but you, we're commiserating because this is a, this is not a fun experience for everyone that's put a lot of time, effort, and money into the organization. Yeah, it's the fans that are the ones that are depressed. Like yeah. it's, it's because we're fans that we're depressed. Well, we're looks, like, looks like the players are too. Kevin on the road. What we learned: Bruff seems to have calmed down in his older age. Young Mount Bruff would have erupted multiple times after the disaster that was this weekend. I had a couple rants today, but after you rant and rant and rant, like. What do you? It's kind of pointless. I mean, he's fifty-seven. That, that he's the fifty-seven tears. years old. I'm get, I'm, I'm, I am getting older. He's right? all ranted out. I'm, yeah. I'm ranted out, and <laughs> you say the same things over and over again. I mean, I don't know how much stronger my words could could be. I mean, earlier in the show, I said you have to admit that this has been a complete failure. You haven't that, you haven't cursed yet. That for you know what we're seeing right now, and this I think this is the this is the depressing part, right? What we're seeing right now, this team is actually the culmination of 10 years of work. Yeah, if you want to call it come that. come to fruition. Right? The fruit well, is draft, rotten, but... Drafts, trades, signings, and this is what you got. This team that has started out with one of the worst starts or the worst start in franchise history. Mm-hmm. Like, this is it. Yep. There's no, there's no uh, blue-chip prospects coming. They don't. They're not piled up with draft picks that they've accumulated through trades. In fact, they're actually at a, running out of deficit. I think they only have a six picks in this upcoming draft. This is it. This is the. This is like. This is the Canucks going like, ta da! Yeah, we're of, capped like, out and we're missing the playoffs. Is this is the team. Do you like it? We put a lot of work into it. It's like when they when they unveil the car. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Herb is like, uh oh, this is bad. But no, they, there's oh, no. there's a t- there's a ton of money invested in what's going on right now, as well. Uh, this one is from Spence in Maple Ridge. Hashtag WWL, what we learned. Spence learned that we have reached peak Seahawks. They have a relatively easy, easy schedule to finish the season, but the 49ers will win the division. Uh, Pete Carroll said it after the loss in Munich to Tampa Bay that it was an opportunity blown by the team. That even though they're still 6-4 and four and it's been a positive season and they've really overachieved, I agree it doesn't brush away the fact that they kind of blew it against a, what I consider to be a very mediocre yeah. box team. Granted, I think they've underachieved, but they they're not very good. And their season was on the line, and they played like it. And this is such an, a football cliche, but it was totally true. Um, Tampa Bay won that game in the trenches both ways, right? They ran the ball down the Seahawks' throats, and – the Seahawks started off the season with the ball getting run down their throats, and it looked like they'd um, it corrected like they that corner. They, it looked like they, like they turned the corner, and then they right. took a step back against Tampa Bay. Gino had a uh, had a bad mistake in the game, which he, which he owned up to. Uh, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm giving them a pass for 
listen for that game because big picture wise, I never expected them to be six and four. No, heading into the bye week, except last week when they were six and three, and I thought they had a pretty good chance to go seven and three. That's the thing. Right? I remember before we before their last three games. Um, so this was after week seven. We said we'll be feeling pretty good about the Seahawks if they win two of their next three games. They beat the Giants. They beat the Cardinals yep. down in Arizona, mm-hmm. and they lost a close one to Tampa Bay. So I'm I, my opinion on these Seahawks has has not really changed with that one loss. We'll see how they finish the season. I do think that San Francisco is still the best team in that division. Um, they have question marks, obviously, at quarterback, but not many other question marks otherwise. Especially if they do get healthy, the Seahawks' schedule they got Vegas to start in week 12 after their bye week. So they should be favored to win that one. And then they have a couple of games remaining against the Rams. And will the Rams fold it up? Will they throw in the towel on this season? See, Cooper Cup got hurt yesterday. Cooper Cup is hurt. Uh, you know, play. Stafford isn't healthy. I think he was in. Did he miss that game because of concussions? Yes. Right. So who knows? The Rams might just be like, and Matt Stafford, like I don't, he just won the Super Bowl. He's older. He's got concussion issues. He might be like, "Hey, let's let's shut me down oh, yeah. for the year, or, or even my career, yeah. right? Because I've just won the Super Bowl, and I don't really want to go out with concussion issues." And I could see Sean McVay leaving. I could see Aaron Donald leaving. The Rams could be in a world hurt. By the way, uh, Tom Brady met Alfonso Davies yesterday. That was the big. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Well, actually, I didn't watch much of the game um, live. I saw the highlights and read a lot about it. But apparently, the atmosphere. Um, at the home of Bayern Munich was just incredible. The players loved it. Even a guy like Tom Brady, who has experienced everything in life and sports, said it was it was a terrific experience. And the NFL is definitely going to be going back to Germany. They just have terrific atmospheres. If, if you look at their, if you look at it, if you ever watch the Bundesliga, like it is incredible atmosphere. Austin and Langley. What we learned, the Borea Salming's uh, video uh, night, uh, I'll word it better, the ceremony for Borea Salming on Saturday in Toronto was incredible and beautiful. Austin says, I'm in my mid-20s and was tearing up. It was just awesome. That was absolutely incredible and beautiful. You, you're you're right, Austin. I was uh, watching that game in a bar with my friend, and the whole bar just went quiet mm. when that ceremony was on. It was so sad, but also so uplifting. And Borea Salming uh, came over to the NHL when the NHL was still run by dinosaurs and some people will say it still is, but back in those days, people did not want to see non-Canadians in the NHL, and they were not treated well. Borea Salming was the victim of a lot of xenophobia, and during that ceremony, I kind of felt bad about the fact that he had to prove himself in that way. He had to prove himself 10 times over compared to a regular Canadian player, and finally at the end, people were like, well, okay, fine. I'll admit it. He was pretty tough, right? Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have had to prove himself like that. No. But he did. And you could see the appreciation, or at least I hope you could see the appreciation on some of those young Swedish players out there because he paved the way for them. 
and he was tough as nails, and he was a very, very good player on a very, very bad team at Toronto. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I'm sure you saw this. They started the all-Swedish – the, the Leafs started an all-Swedish lineup, right? It was Engvall, Nylander, Yarncroke, Sandine, Liljegren, Schalgren, and Nat, too. That was right? really cool. Yeah. Was a really nice one. Um, it's wild to think that it wasn't all that long ago that, like, you had – he was a trailblazing from – a, a country that was <laughs> developing very talented hockey. It was it's just bizarre to think about it because where we're at now, like it's almost you just kind of you don't even think about like Swedes being in the NHL. There's a million of them, right? But um, you know, to be a trailblazer and yeah, it was very. I mean, it, it was inspiring and it was heartwarming. It was incredibly difficult to watch. Oh, watching well. Sittler's reaction to him as well. Like, yeah, you could just right. See how close they were. It was really beautiful. Did you guys watch any of the other Hall of Fame stuff from the weekend? No, Luongo or. Um, I, yeah, I caught bits. Longo got two goals as a forward. I saw that. Yeah. That was kind of <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah, he told a fun good. story in the little sit down about uh, the gold medal game. I know he doesn't have a Stanley Cup memory mm-hmm. to talk he does about. Not. What, what but, did he uh, say? Uh, just when he made that big save before the goal, yeah. he was going to cover it. He was going to get a whistle, settle everything down. But Niedermeyer in the corner of his eye told him to play it, mm-hmm. moved it over to him, and went down the ice. You know the rest of the story. And what happened? Yeah, um, they won, they Jason. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Good for them. We landed on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one's from Rager. What we learned is the Netflix doc FIFA Uncovered is absolutely unbelievable and covers a lot of the back channel deals that happened to get World Cups awarded to places like Qatar. It's gross and inhumane in a lot of ways but we will still all be watching on the 23rd. Mm-hmm. I watched the first episode over the weekend. Uh, it's It goes into the the history of FIFA and its formation, and then when Joao Havelange became the president, and that's when it really took this turn mm-hmm. to being what it is today, which is this massive, massive entity that is also rife with corruption. And, yeah. I mean, I've almost reached the point, and this is maybe going to be caustic or maybe – uh, you can criticize me for not having enough moralistic integrity, but it seems that every large-scale uh, event, like and the the Olympics are just as corrupt, the IOC is just yeah. as corrupt, right? It almost seems naive to think that politics are not going to get their fingers into it, and that it's not going to become corrupt when the amount of money and the amount of power that's well, available is there. Like, we- I don't know, does it not like I, I that that doesn't wash away. And sport washing is something that comes up in this in this documentary repeatedly. When committee members have a vote, and they can be bought, like if if you right. think how much getting a World Cup or the Olympics is worth to, I don't know, certain countries or, or certain politicians, coming up with like a million and a half bucks to bribe these guys is pennies on the dollar. It's peanuts. It's right. it's, it's like here's here's your briefcase of cash. Vote for us. Right? And 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 really, I think. Um, so Jurgen Klopp had had a bit of a rant uh-huh. the other day, and um, he was talking about he was kind of leveling the blame at the media for not talking about it more when the World Cups were awarded to both Russia and Qatar, and that was at the same time. Yeah, and he said like you guys allowed this to happen, and some of the media pushed back is like we were writing about this, like mm-hmm. we were writing about it, but he but his point was like you didn't write about it hard enough. Right, like right. you didn't you didn't criticize it hard enough so that maybe the, the decisions could have been reversed. But man, if you think of what Russia has hosted in the last little while, they hosted the World Cup, they hosted the Olympics in two thousand and fourteen. Mm-hmm. 
Th- th- there's a reason why. Like, there's all these back channel um, deals that happened, and some of them are legal deals, and it's just kind of horse trading, which happens in politics, and that's part of it. But some of it's illegal. Some of it's outright corruption. And Sepp Blatter did a. He's the former FIFA president. He did an interview the other day, and he was part of this problem. And he said, "Yeah, we shouldn't. You know, Qatar should not have the the World Cup." To which everyone was kind of like. Yeah. Yeah, but you said <laughs> they, that they now. shouldn't. They're not yeah. even like a soccer country. They had to build all these stadiums and because they had to build these stadiums, they had to create all these inhumane conditions for uh the, the workers and it's too damn hot there. We have to play this thing in December like yeah, uh, obviously, but but so I remember when Russia and Qatar, especially Qatar, were awarded the World Cup. There was a lot of talk like this is ridiculous. What is going on? There must have been corruption, and what do you know? Yeah, <laughs> there was corruption. Right. So yeah, the, the documentary is great because it dates back to uh, the early stages and how not long after the birth of FIFA, corruption seeped in, and it just became almost part and parcel of the organization from that point forward. Uh, I recommend checking it out. It's on Netflix now. Here's one from Brinsley, hashtag WWL, what we learned. Uh, I learned that culture is a nice buzzword, but let's be honest, this current team has such a bad defense, plus the lazy highest paid player. There is no solution but to start anew. Hopefully they can dump Miller for picks or a bag of pucks. Uh, Brinsley brings up a good point about culture is (laughs) culture matters, but it kind of is secondary to talent. Like if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. It doesn't matter how much cu- culture you have. Culture is never going to usurp having the ability to win hockey games. Like the, the Canucks blue line right now is not good enough. Not, it's not NHL caliber on some nights. The goaltending is not good enough. And uh, the mistakes that the highest paid players make, and specifically JT Miller, they're egregious in nature, mm-hmm. right? Well, what so, about Quinn Hughes playing the puck with a broken stick? So what do you do there if you're a coach? Don't do that. Quinn, when the <laughs> when it go, when the, the, the stick breaks and it turns into a mini stick, don't play with it. Just drop it and go. I, I watched that happen in real time, and I, and I was— My brain actually went, don't do that. Yeah, but I was also like, that looks cool. <laughs> yeah, there should be a rule that as long as it looks cool, you're allowed to do it. Because it was still, like, yeah. uh, technically speaking— it's illegal only if you don't pull it off. If you pull it off, it's I legal. could understand if there's a rule that you can't play with a broken shaft of a stick and you're wielding it like a sword. Like, I won't yeah. do challenge you to the still has the blade on it. You're yeah, kidding. but he had the blade. Like, it <laughs> yeah. seemed like he just had a small stick. Did yeah. it not? No, it was awesome. We lit- I want to relitigate this now for the next 11 minutes that we've got. Okay, it's a penalty. It's in the rule book. But, but every NHL penalty should have an asterisk as long as <laughs> but, you make it look yes, cool. I've always the said NHL, give the refs more chance. The NHL rule book should have like a notwithstanding clause. Wait, yeah, exactly. If it looks cool, you're good. <laughs> if Quinn Hughes skated out at the beginning of the game with a really short stick, the exact same size as the broken one he played with, would it be a penalty? As long as he made it, well, it wouldn't be. Is there a minimum? God, you guys are dumb. I don't know. I think when the stick yeah, breaks, exactly. when the stick breaks, it's dangerous because the edges become. But what if it's sharp. not broken? Is what they're saying. What if it's a like a produced? Well, that would small be fine. Stick? Is there? Is it though? Is there a minimum stick length? There might be. Why? What are we changing the conversation here? They we're played making, with a broken stick. We're making a difference here. We're talking about corruption at FIFA. We're going to change that, and then we're going to fix the stick length issue in the NHL. Joe Bob with a what we learned. Nathan Rourke was certainly not at his best yesterday, but the way the Lions battle back and. Made it coming down to the game's final play gives me optimism about one Vancouver sports franchise's future. What a feeling. Absolutely. The Lions had a terrific season. Mm -hmm. They did. And we talked about it earlier in the program. Um, And they won a playoff game 
at BC Place. Uh, they came up against, frankly, a, a better Winnipeg Blue Bombers team. This is this this Bombers team is one of the the greatest teams in CFL history. Like they are an absolute machine. Uh, they're going to be heavily favored to beat the Argos in the Grey Cup. Anything can happen in a Grey Cup, and the Argos have won six straight Grey Cups when they've gone. So they've they've got that going for them. Sure. Um, I didn't even think like Kolaros was the, all that good because he wasn't because he wasn't very good, and he came up with an ankle injury, which will be um, will have to be monitored. He says he's fine, but we'll have to wait and see on that. But the way that in some ways it was it was a bit like the uh, Seahawks Buccaneers game in that the Bombers controlled the line of scrimmage and the evidence was that the Bombers were able to run the ball very effectively and the BC Lions were not. Now some of that had to do with they got away from the run because they were trailing for most of the game so Nathan Rourke was forced to pass but yeah. Kelly and Maple Ridge text in with this what we learned I learned that the BC Lions had a grand total of 28 rushing yards and 24 of them were by the two quarterbacks and Butler had only four yards on four carries well, you talked to Moj about that right Butler and- also like there was him and Nathan Rourke were not communicating well I, I don't know if it was a communication or Rourke was just off but Rourke was missing passes to Butler or Butler was dropping passes. And we're talking short passes. There was, I think it was Nathan Rourke's first completion of the game, which came with after a bunch of misses, Butler did catch a screenplay and then fumbled. So that didn't go well. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really was a mishmash of a game. All sorts of crazy stuff happened. There wasn't much flow to it, but I think, after the game, the obvious conclusion was like, yeah, Winnipeg's a better team, and they proved that all season. Yeah, the Lions got a win over them late in the season because Winnipeg was ra- resting half its team. Remember when Winnipeg came to – was it in BC Place? I think it was BC Place, and Nathan Rourke was playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bombers destroyed the Lions. They gave them a real wake-up call. Now the big question about this team is whether or not Nathan Rourke is going to be back with them or whether he'll get – a shot down in the NFL, whether this is really truly the time for Nathan Rourke to test the NFL waters, or does he want to come back? Does he feel he's healthy enough to test the NFL waters? All of that is out there and it's huge for the BC Lions. If they bring him back, they can maintain this positive momentum. I'm very confident that they contain uh, as far as winning on the field and, and also making gains off the field. If they can't, it's a huge question mark. Uh, well, I mean, he's got he's going to try. I in just, the I, NFL, it's just yes. a matter of when. No, it's it's now. <laughs> he's not waiting. He's not going to come back and play the first part of the season with the Lions and risk getting hurt. He should be working out and doing everything he can to capitalize on this momentum and try and get in the NFL. Look, the NFL needs more quality quarterbacks. I don't I don't know what to tell you, but I, this season alone, we've seen guys like Sam Ellinger. And Skylar Thompson and Brett Rippon and Jarrett Stidham all play NFL regular season snaps. Some of them full games. And it's been horrible. Malik Willis came in two games, and he was a much more decorated college player and touted prospect than Nathan Rourke ever was. He got two kicks at the can with Tennessee and looked like he just couldn't play at that level. Yeah, There is a, outside of the starters... And you can't even argue that there's 32 of them across the NFL. There's a real lack of talent for guys that can throw the football like Nathan Rourke can. I feel terrible about it. 
because it was such a good year, and I think Amar Doman's ownership probably deserves something better than going back next year with Cody Fajardo or Bo Levi Mitchell. But that kind of feels like where it's going. And I want to read one more from David from Surrey. What we learned, I learned that the BC Lions are a great representation of a family that cares about each other. Yeah, Nathan Rourke, and I think it was Burnham embracing after the game, and Nathan Rourke looking sad and talking about how the loss hurt even more because of all the veterans. David from Surrey continues, the Canucks, on the other hand, are a bunch of guys that wear the same jersey with no pride for it or who they are representing. Harsh, but true. We got to get out of here for today, but we will be back tomorrow. That was a very elongated sigh. I didn't mean that that way, but maybe it's appropriate. Signing off for now, I have been Mike Halford. He has been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog, and he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.